Is this on? Okay. Well, thank you guys for being here. It's a blessing to come down again. Uh, I love coming down here and, and uh, hanging out with you guys. Uh, if you got your Bibles, we'll be, in, we'll be in 2 Corinthians 7. Hopefully this isn't blocking you off. There we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'll turn there. Uh, if you were here last week, Mike did a phenomenal job covering the 6th chapter where uh, really just the first verse in chapter 1 is a continuation of the last chapter. It just the break happens to be there. It says uh, in verse 1, uh, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, holiness in the fear of God. I'm going to pray real quick before. I, uh, Father, uh, thank you for this opportunity to, to go through your word, Lord. Uh, may you uh, once again uh, just bless this time. And uh, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. And so having these promises, uh, let us cleanse ourselves, he says. I like how he says ourselves. He doesn't say, uh, you guys cleanse yourselves and I'm okay. He says, yeah, we, uh, we all need cleansing. Um, and this is all in light of the last chapter. He says, uh, and he's really encouraging the Corinthians to be set apart, to not, to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Uh, he says, what fellowship does darkness and light have? None. We know that. Light vanquishes the darkness. And, and so he wants them to be, to be set apart, uh, to be able to be used by the Lord. And, um, and part of that is this cleansing process. God does the work. We give him our mind. He changes our heart towards the issues that trip us up in life. Um, I, like a, I have a quote from Adam Clark, an old commentator. He says, how can those expect God to purify their hearts who are continually indulging their eyes, ears, and hands in what is forbidden and in what tends to increase and bring into action all the pro evil propensities of the soul. And so he says here some of those things, the, the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, uh, sins of the flesh. I think of things like lying, cheating, stealing, all the outward things that we, we, uh, we do. Uh, hopefully we don't still do, but uh, might be tempted to do. There's the um, sins of the spirit, uh, the Pharisees, for instance, had a lot of trouble with this. They were legalistic. They uh, uh, coveting pride. They, they had those issues. We have those issues. Uh, those are the ones that are more hidden. But he says, cleanse our, let's cleanse ourselves of all that. Um, and, and really, not to camp out on this verse for too long, but I, I really like it because it goes with the flow of the scripture, of the writing, but it also... Uh, it's, it's a necessity, and, uh, uh, and what better way to, to be cleansed to, by, uh, well, I like Psalm 119, for instance, says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word, 119.9. And uh, Ephesians 5.26 says, uh, encourages us to be uh, washed by the water of the word. And so the word's so important uh, because the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the things the things that we should do, the things that we know is right from this, from this book, from God's Word. And if we're not reading it, how do we know? <laughs> how do we know how's the Holy Spirit going to bring that to remembrance? And so I think it really stresses the importance of the Word um, being in us and God working through us in that. that The Word has a saturating, when we're saturated in the Word, it has a cleansing effect in us. And it uh, seems like when, when the more I'm reading it, the more I want to keep His commandments. It's not that I have to keep the commandments of the Lord, but that I... I want to. It becomes a want-to thing. And we start seeing the world through chapter and verse. We start seeing situations uh, more spiritually and less fleshly. And so 
uh, he, I think he's encouraging us here to, to, to cleanse ourselves, stay in the word, uh, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And that perfecting is not that we've arrived, we've reached uh, perfection, but that we're maturing. Uh, the Greek and that is uh, uh, pointing towards that we're maturing when we're doing that. He, uh, Paul is concerned with the growth of these Corinthians. He is uh, like a father to him, and that's what the promises he was talking about is here. Uh, Mike covered it last week, but it's really that God wants them to be separate, and uh, he'll draw near to them, and, um, and that he'll be a father to them. And in a way, Paul himself is, is, wants to be a father to these Corinthians. He's, he's looking out for them. He's, um, he's, he's wanting the best for them. He says in verse, uh, verse 11 of the last chapter, O Corinthians... That heartfelt, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. Well, he says in verse 2, open your hearts to us. Kind of the same, but different. <laughs> he says, open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I love this, uh, this, this approach of Paul to, the, to this Corinthians uh, congregation that he loves so much um, that he returns to this idea of, of the heart. That, uh, you've, you've heard the quote, the issue, uh, heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And so he, uh, he goes straight to that. He says, our hearts are wide open. And uh, he comes with this, um, you know, I get this picture of the prodigal son, you know, uh, and the father waiting with his arms wide open and uh, saying that it's not, you know, our rift, which is really what it was. There's a little bit of a rift there between Paul and the Corinthians. And it was really uh, the uh, disobedience was on their part. He comes here with a clear conscience. He uh We've never done anything to uh, he and his ministry, that is, when he says we, to really take advantage of anybody. We've not corrupted anybody. Uh, we've walked the line. We haven't even, I haven't even taken payment, you know, tent maker, and, and, and I, uh, I don't have to have your money. I want you guys to give out of the uh, goodness of your heart. And so that's kind of how he treated the Corinthians. He, he had this clear conscience. He wouldn't t- didn't want to take any... Uh, any advantage of them whatsoever. And so um, it's kind of what I get out of verse 2, that he wanted them to come uh, really to the Lord. Uh, they're, they're already saved. They've got salvation, but to uh, grow in that. Verse 3, he says, I don't say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Verse 4, great is my boldness of speech toward you, Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in our tribulation. Um, I love this because he, you know, there's no condemnation in Christ, Romans says. And he, he's, he's saying the same thing here. He's, he's living godly. He says, I don't want to condemn you. I'm not trying to come in that. I'm not condoning what you guys uh, have been getting caught up in. Um, you guys remember false teachers were coming in. They were influencing the Corinthians in a, a negative way uh, towards Paul, creating that rift between them, uh, that dissension. Uh, many of them were uh, believing that he was he was just in it for trying to get their money. He was trying to trying to uh, have this uh, this leadership over him. He wasn't really a leader, and and all this stuff along those lines. But um, we know, looking ahead, and we'll cover it that they repented of of much of that. Many of them did, and he wants to. Uh, reaffirm a lot of things, and he still wants to point out a lot of things in their their lives because he wants to see them grow once again. He's uh, faithful to do that. So he don't want to leave them hanging, but he says here, I don't condemn you. Uh, we What we say is true. Uh, you know, I like the quote, love without uh, truth is, uh, 
hypocrisy, but truth without love is brutality. He wants to uh, reaffirm that, that he accepts them no matter what they do, that, that he, he still loves them. Once again, not condoning things, but he, he loves them. He wants to be there for them as much as possible. He, uh, he's not going to abandon them. He's not ripping them off and, uh, or writing them off, but uh, he does, once again, have things to say to help them. And uh, another, really a third point that I like in this first section, he encourages him with, how, with the reassurance how proud he is. He says, great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. And, you know, you get that picture of him in, telling people he meets, you know, I know those Corinthians. I'm proud of them. Those are, those are my people. I, I really i am blessed by them. He's not ashamed of them. He sees uh, who they really are in Christ. So we'll we'll read 5 through 7 here. Verse 5 says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, though we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforted the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you, when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. And so he's, we know that when he came to Macedonia, he, you know, we know Paul planted three churches in, in Macedonia. And, and probably this is written from the, uh, the one in Philippi, and uh, most likely. But when he came there, he, he said, we had no rest. He said uh, they were troubled on every side. They were so troubled that it says in, uh, earlier on in this, in this book that they... Basically, he passed up in Troas a ministering opportunity, a uh, a real good evangelical opportunity, and uh, which was not like Paul to ever do, but to to move on because he was so he was supposed to meet uh, uh, he moved on from Troas to go to Macedonia. He was supposed to meet uh, Titus there to get the report on the Corinthians and on how they were doing because he didn't go at that time, and so we know we see a lot of uh, things in Paul's life that was. Really, his whole ministry, it just seemed like he was always having troubles, you know. And, and a, lot of, a lot of good men probably would have quit. Paul kept going. He kept pressing on and, and, and pushing in. And, um, he, he, he battled with uh, the stress, you know, on the inside of anxiety, anxiety and, uh, of the ministry. Really, ministries he had. He was ministering to all these churches he planted throughout the, the uh, Mediterranean world back in that day. And, and so he, he, there wasn't telephones, there wasn't emails, or you couldn't Skype somebody to see how somebody was doing to, to, to check on them or even encourage them. He had to write letters, and he had to pr- wait and pray, and, and, uh, and the same for the churches that he ministered to. And so there was anxiety about that. He was very distressed about the Corinthians in particular. And on top of all that, uh, there were circumstances going around he, he had, that was really uh, stressing him out, I, I believe, Philippi, he was jailed there at one time for preaching the gospel. You know, am I going to be jailed again? Are they looking for me? He's got, he, no doubt he was thinking about all the, uh, the Judaizers coming in. They would give him a hard time in about every city he went to. Um, and just even carnality of, of Christians, you know. I, I talked with somebody this morning. He said he had his toes stepped on by another church. And, and you know, that happens so often that it's, it's sad and it shouldn't happen. People aren't perfect, but at the same time, we... we 
got to strive to be better in Christ, not to be better than the next guy, but to be uh, pure and holy and, and loving on our brothers and our sisters. So um, when it doesn't go that route, it's it's rough. But here, Paul, the uh, Paul the apostle here, he was going through all that, and I'm I'm encouraged that he was distressed, and his distress that encourages me because um, he was way further spiritually than I'll probably ever be, and he's still having trouble. So, and the same God that he leaned on, we can lean on in our trouble. And uh, something else that helps us bear up um, under these pressures in life is, I think Mike hit on it a few weeks ago, he said that uh, God's got his hand on the on the control of uh, when, we're in, when we're in hot water, when we're in the fires of life and the trials, he's He's, uh, he's got his hands on the, the controls. He's adjusting them as he sees fit. And so, Because he put Paul in this spot. He puts us in spots in life, and we, we think, we oh, I messed up. Now, no, he's putting you there. He's refining you. He's doing a work in you. He's going to come out better. Just keep your head up. And uh, I think about Daniel and the lion's den. You know, Daniel, he made it through. And what's even funnier, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you go there through Daniel and you're reading and you see that they were thrown into the fiery furnace, uh, literal fiery furnace, and Jesus jumped in there with them. And so like, sometimes he, he's, he's right there with us. And uh, when we, he's always there when we need us, but sometimes we just see him. And um, through other people, I should say, a lot of times. Um, but like I said, the amazing thing is Paul could find comfort and amidst all this, and uh, he found it in a friend one of the, in one of the ways, and it was Titus. And we've got Tituses in our lives, I think, a lot of times. Titus was Paul's uh, son in the faith. He uh, discipled Titus, Paul did. And, you know, a lot of people would look at that and be like, well, he can't help Paul. He did help Paul in a big way. You know, he had, Paul had his co-laborer back. You know, like I said before, he didn't know how he was doing. He, he, you know, Paul, he knew he sent Titus to the Corinthians. He didn't know if the Corinthians lynched him and mobbed him and, and killed him. And, but he didn't know what happened. He was hopeful that, uh, that he would see him again, and he did. And so you can bet he was glad to have his co-laborer back. Um, I like Proverbs 25, 25, it says, As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. So not only with uh, Titus coming back, but with that report of how well the Corinthians were doing, he, his they they had repented. They had shown their loyalty to Paul and, and really to God through Paul. And so he's blessed. Uh, let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though for only a while. Now I rejoice that not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us and nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrow in the godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, Although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. So Paul wrote this letter to him. And uh, you might be asking yourself, what letter? Well, scholars call it the severe letter. The, uh, and uh, 
We don't know if it was 1 Corinthians. I tend to think it was. Some people think it was a lost letter, another letter that he'd wrote in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. But I do know for sure that it was a strong confrontational rebuking letter uh, of correction. And Paul didn't like necessarily, you would think he liked confrontation from all the stuff he went through, but he didn't. He didn't want to have to, uh, as well as many of us, we don't want to have to confront uh, our, our brothers in Christ. But uh, some may say that the Corinthians deserved it, but nevertheless, it, it couldn't have been easier and easier to do. Um, if we look back in chapter 2, verse 4, kind of a parallel passage on this. It says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. And so it's kind of the same wording there. He, he says it again, that, that uh, out of many tears, um, he wrote. And so I love his openness there. His, his person is, is not impersonal. He, uh, he's personal. He shares his heart. Uh, it's not a, like an impersonal form letter. I read this. I was sharing with my wife yesterday about this. And it's, it made me think of uh, we, we uh, my wife and myself and, and some folks, we had a, a little home Bible study last year. And we ordered a, <laughs> we ordered a, uh, a small group study book. And a uh, great book from a well-known great Bible teacher. I won't say his name because I don't want to, you know, make the ministry look bad because it's, it's a great ministry. But it's just funny because it made me think of this, how ever since the, since, the day, since we ordered that book, uh, we get emails every day, and uh, we get, we get uh, uh, in regular mail, like once a month, every, yeah, every month, and it's the same, it's like a form letter. It's, it's, I think the name might even be misspelled every time. It's like, you know, very impersonal, and, and I know the, the meaning behind it. It's just kind of funny that he'll send it, and I remember every month you'll see, uh, Lance, I can help you with your peace problems. And it's just kind of funny. It's like, you know, it's, I didn't know I had peace problems. How'd you know? But I didn't know. But Paul, it wasn't a form letter like this. Uh, he he was, if I mean, the pages were tear-stained is what I get out of it. I think of D.L. Moody, the great evangelist from the mid-1800s. He preached to millions of people around the world. And he said that, uh, when it's been said that when he preached about hell, he brought it. You know, he fire and brimstone, people would call it. And he preached about hell. People, people responded, and they said that... Uh, they could, they could, uh, that he had a tear in his voice is how they, they said it. And I, I, that real, what a word picture. They had a tear in his voice when he preached about hell. I think that's a lot like that. He, he cared about people enough to say the hard things to him, the truthful things to him, uh, as well as the easy things. He didn't leave that part out. He was concerned about their souls, much like Paul here. I think Paul was a lot like that. He, he uh, must have wrote in such a way, such a convicting way, that they could, they were moved by the, the tears they could feel through the, the his writing, through his letters, through this severe letter. And so, we know that he loved these people, this Corinthian congregation. He wanted them to know it. He wanted to reaffirm that. Um, let's back up to verse nine, back in chapter seven. Here, let me flip over. He said, and he rejoices even. Um, not that they were made sorry, you know, he, he wasn't just trying to make, but it, it was okay. He said that, that sorrow led to repentance. And really that's what it's all about, the uh, biblical principle of repentance uh, woven throughout the Bible. It's, it's, I've heard it said it's the twin sister of faith and that, you know, you've got to, before you can even have faith, you've got to confess, you've got to ask for forgiveness, you've got to repent of your sin, you've got to agree with God that uh, he's right and that we're wrong. Um, 
he says, now rejoice, not that you were made sorry. Um, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world leads to death. And it produces death. Um, and so we've had these two different types of grief. Um, and starting with worldly sorrow, we see uh, it's kind of neat how he contrasts them there. And if we dig into that and really look at the meanings of them, I, I got out of worldly sorrow that it's horizontal. It's a horizontal type of grief. And uh, it sounds kind of weird. Um, but there's, there's no looking up for God in it. There's you're looking around, you're blaming everybody else for your hurts. Because the truth hurts when you're wrong. In both cases, whether it's godly sorrow or worldly sorrow, it's, it's the truth hurts uh, when there, there's that moment of truth and you know you're in the wrong and, and you've got to deal with that. You react or respond. You've got to, whether you say anything or not, inside you've got to, to deal with that thing. This is going to weigh on you. And so we have to make a decision on what to do at that point. With worldly sorrow, though, we know when it's worldly sorrow because generally people run or retaliate. They run and hide or they retaliate, lash out. It's your fault. <laughs> Well, they just, they just run and hide and they hide from the world. And uh, either case is, is not good. It's not getting anywhere. Uh, it's hopeless. It's just despairing. And so you think, I think the prison system, we've got a lot of prisons in the area. And uh, many inmates, many inmates get saved. I know a few that have gotten saved in the prison system, good, strong Christians. Uh, Chuck Colson, I don't know him personally, but Chuck Colson's the one that uh, he's, oh, man, if you read his writings, and he just, he was you know, really blessed by going to prison, getting saved, starting a big ministry there. Um, but many don't, many, many don't, and they're just mad over the circumstances, and uh, there's no repentance is the thing there. There's no uh, life-changing repentance. Godly, godly sorrow, in, in contrast, is vertical. It, it causes me to recognize my sin before a holy God. Uh, it's focused on God more than myself, more than my situation and circumstances. It's focused on the one who can, who can change that circumstance. Uh, for the good, for the long haul. It, it's becoming sorrowful as God intended. God intended these guys to be sorrowful in, in all that that they did. It's like my little girl. The other, you know, it's been lately, um, she's been acting out. My four-year-old, Vanessa, my wife shared this uh, with me the other day. She said, yeah, you were at work. She's, uh, while you were at work, she, we had to sit her down and she, she, I don't remember what she was doing, something to her sister, no doubt, but she said she enjoyed that. And, and, Vanessa said, do you realize that's sin, that thing you're doing? I think uh, not sharing. And she said, do you realize that's, that's sin, being mean to her when you guys are playing and then you just take something and not share? Um, yeah, she realized it was sin. But uh, <laughs> Vanessa's like, well, that's not good. You can't do And so you've got to ask the Lord to forgive you. And that's, even, even at that age, I think knowing that she needs to go to the Lord, even at four, setting that pattern, that model uh, forth, even at that age to be in the habit of doing that. It's, it's a habit of a disciple. You guys will find out if you go to the, the uh, Bible study, or you already know, but to set that in place from a young age, um, and that'll help us help it not to happen again. God intends that. He, he tells it. We know what's right from wrong. It's in the book. It's, there's, there's gray areas, but and, you know, the Holy Spirit comes in and, and fills those in. The Lord uh, desires the heart change, though, and with these Corinthians, that's what happened. Uh, golly sorrow always leads to repentance. It's not an emotion and an action. It's an action. I like that. I, I found that quote the other day. It's not just an emotional response. Esau, you remember the story of back in uh, of Esau, uh, Jacob and Esau, back in Genesis. He uh, it says in Hebrews that he 
referring back to that, that he saw it, repentance for tears for selling his birthright. Uh, he, cried, he was a manly man. He cried, for, and it didn't change anything. He didn't seek the Lord on it. And uh, he went down in history as, as a non-repenter and, and just a bitter man. Um, because uh, when you're so broke that you confess your sin to God, you repent. That metanoia in the Greek, that repentance, it means you're doing a 180 uh, roundabout, you're, you're turning to God. You're not doing a 360, you're going back to your sins. You're doing a 180, and you're turning to God, and he's waiting to forgive you. And uh, it changes things. I think of a time, uh, uh, a guy, <laughs> uh, he bought a Corvette. He was driving around one day, and he said, well, this thing's built for speed, my Corvette. I can't just keep all these horses just reined in. I got to let it loose here. And so he gets out on, on 67, up where I'm from, and he, he says, uh, it's built for speed. Let's pick it up. And he, he 80, 90, 110, 120, 100, and then uh, the blue lights, he said, flashing in the back, he gets pulled over, he, he loses his license, he, he uh, gets a big fine, I think there was some jail time, he might have did, did like 160, whatever it is, that, but he, uh, the point is, he was doing something he shouldn't have done, obviously, he broke the law, uh, sounds elementary, but the thing is, he was mad, he was annoyed with the police and everybody around him, uh, the car dealer, his, his buddies, and uh, and so some time passed, and uh, I thought it was kind of funny, and he, uh, he didn't get rid of his car. He, he was out of jail. He went back, drove his Corvette, and, ah, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this issue. He bought him a radar detector. And so he was going to catch the cops before they caught him, and, of course, it didn't work. And, but the thing is, it, it, it was, I think that's a funny illustration that there was no repentance. There was no change. He just didn't want to get caught. He, uh, he was going to do the thing again. It might, sometimes in our lives it, it might take a while, but if it's, it's worldly repentance, it's, it's kind of a hopeless, uh, it's, it's no real repentance at all. Or worldly sorrow, I'm sorry, it's no real repentance at all. It's probably going to happen again. Um, I really like, on this subject, one more illustration, and that's Judas Iscariot, Peter. Judas, you know, they both, both these guys, they uh, spent three years with Jesus, his ministry, they walked with him. They left everything to be with Jesus and, uh, and follow him. But the, the difference is... Uh, uh, there at the end of the ministry before Jesus went to the cross, we know that Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, which was a price of a slave. He, he, um, one night he, he led the uh, chief priests and the elders to Jesus to, to take him into the Romans to eventually have him killed and murdered. And he, uh, he, he was funny because he greeted uh, Jesus with a kiss, to, you know, identifying kiss. He said, this, you know, hey, everybody, this is, you know, he just, so, such a treacherous thing, you know. And it said after, after he placed that identifying kiss on, on Jesus' cheek, and Jesus, friend, what, what do you seek us now? You know, what, what can, what, what's going on? I think he I honestly he had an opportunity to repent right there. And it, it says after that he was remorseful, and he felt condemned in Matthew 27 over what he'd done. That, that sorrow filled his heart over what he'd done. He felt horrible, no doubt. He, he felt guilty. He was, he was just hung up with guilt and, and uh Realized he crossed the line in this remorse without repentance. He, uh, you know, the story, he, he committed suicide. Um, went out and killed himself. And so that worldly grief, it, it, it can be, it can lead to a literal death. It says death here. Um, it can lead to that. Or it can feel like you're in just such bondage and pain that you, you just want to die. And uh, God doesn't want that for us. He wants, he wants the godly sorrow uh, that leads to repentance. Peter's a good example. On the flip side, he, he knows what it means to have godly sorrow uh, he denied the Lord three times. You guys remember that story in the Gospels. Third time, he was cursing. He was swearing. 
he, he said he didn't even know the man, Jesus. And, and he remembered that rooster, rooster crow, and he remembered that uh, Jesus said, after the rooster crows, you'll, uh, after you'll deny me three times, the rooster will crow. And at that point, when the rooster crow, Luke's account's the only one that tells us this, by the way. He, he says that the Lord turned around from where he was at. He was just got, gotten beaten, bloodied, and battered. He looked him in the eye and just, just looked at him. I don't believe it was a stare of condemnation. I think it was a look like, you know, you're, you're not finished yet. You, I, you, you know, I called this. I knew you were going to do this, but I still love you anyway. And nevertheless, Peter said, wept bitterly and, and took off. And uh, later on, to skip a few things later on, Jesus rose from the dead. He went to the cross and uh, rose from the dead three days later. And, and uh, they went fishing. They decided to go kind of back to what they were doing. Uh, Peter uh, was out in the boat, and they had seen this figure on the shore, and they, they realized it was Jesus, uh, you know, he said uh, to cast their nets on the right side, and, and, and they got all these fish, and they remember that happened before. And, they, and so uh, once he realized, though, the, the cool thing, Peter realized who it was. He, he grabbed his coat and swam to shore. And uh, uh, very, very interesting, by the way, that he grabbed his coat. Um, and, you know, I wondered what that meant, and I, I, I thought about it, and I studied on, on that little passage there. And I believe that him grabbing his coat was kind of a symbol of repentance, you know, I believe he repented when he was weeping in his case, not like Esau, but in his case, I believe he really repented. And he didn't fire up the outboard motors. That's Jesus and took off the other way. He didn't swim to shore and, and punch him and take off. But he he uh, he swam to shore and, and Jesus restored him. Um, and uh, and so and we know we know that he repented at that point. So and I think the, the principle there is godly sorrow drives us to the Lord. Let's, look at, let's uh, look at what godly sorrow produces in verse 10 and 11. It, we know that uh, the worldly sorrow produces death, but the godly sorrow produced these very things in the Corinthians. Um, a diligence. I think it was a diligence to, to um, walk in repentance, you know, the, walk that road of repentance. I think there was a, it says here that there was a, a clearing of yourselves. I think it's the clearing of that guilt and shame, that clearance that we feel we're okay now. We're, you know, we might have guilty thoughts creep in, but at the same time, we know that uh, by faith that God's forgiven us from this thing that we've repented of, we came to Him of, and that we're cleared of it. Um, it says here that they've. He says, "What indignation, and indignation, it's it's the to the foolishness of sin. It's a, excuse me to have that hatred of sin. They're indignant towards." It, it says, "What fear, and uh, fear of it happening again, really." Not uh, and and really, I think it's a it's a healthy fear to be afraid of the sin that we're weak towards, that besetting sin. You know, Hebrews tells us to to uh, uh, get away from the sins that so easily uh, beset us. You know, and and so and move towards godliness, and not even put ourselves in those situations where we can sin. Uh, vehement desire, it says here. Well, vehement desire that that uh, passion for purity and, and that passion for godliness. Uh, that only comes from repentance. The world, you don't, you don't get that. You don't. But you want the opposite in general. You want to be a good person sometimes, but you, you want your, your own selfish stuff. You don't want to be pure and godly a lot of times. Uh, uh, zeal, he says here, also, what zeal you guys have now that you're, uh, you've repented. You've got, a, you've got that fire for the Lord. Vindication, it's kind of similar to clearing. He says you're, you've been vindicated. 
uh, because it's clear that you're walking with the Lord again. I think it's uh, interesting. Someone said that true repentance doesn't say maybe I'll go get it, get to it next year. Uh, that sin that's besetting is true repentance says this is wrong and I'm going to deal with it now with finality, with certain certainty, no matter what the cost. And I believe that's what the Corinthians did here. They uh, they repented. They realized uh, that I can't be double-minded. You know, I think in the Psalms it says uh, David said, "Unite my heart with a single focus." To, to serve God with that single focus. You can't have one foot in the world and, and one foot in Christ. The, once again, from chapter 6, that, uh, that light and darkness, it doesn't mix. And so it doesn't work. There's no fellowship with darkness. And uh, I believe the Corinthians saw that. And Paul was writing to commend them and to really uh, and support them in their repentance. Verse 13, we'll finish the chapter here, guys. Therefore, we have been... Comfort in your comforted in your comfort. Wow, uh, we see that word uh, thirty some odd times. I mean, comforted. I love it. We we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true, and his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. That's quite a statement there. He, <laughs> um, we, we, like we just said, Paul's words of discipline helped produce a repentance, a heart change for that. And for that reason, Paul was rejoicing and, and he was even comforted. And by the way, the heat was probably still turned up on him. Nevertheless, he was comforted in, in what they had done. He was encouraging them uh, which is really important for, for folks, I think, uh, very important for folks. That's, and for myself, I think of myself, really, I have to tell you that, that, you know, no certain thing, but time, I'm not perfect, things happen. And uh, for a brother, Mike has been there for me, and, and other brothers that, and uh, I try to be there for others, but like if I, if I trip up in some area, and uh, I, I need that uh, restoration, I need that, after I've repented to the Lord, I still need that support from my brothers. And I, that's what I love about the body of Christ, that's, that's the way it's supposed to look. You know, that's when the, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are working in full operation. When people are, are uh, all leaning on the Lord and their troubles, we're all limping with something. <laughs> Something's gonna, always going on. If we're not coming out of a trial, we're going into a trial. Uh, you know, there's mountaintops, but there's, there's a lot of lows, and, and uh, God puts us there for a reason. And I think we can support each other. We can be Pauls and Tituses and, and be there for one another. Very important. I get that out of this, the encouragement aspect. And uh, even with our kids as parents, you know, when it, like I hit on earlier, disciplining our children, you know, I'm, I'm an expert on parenting since I have three kids. No, <laughs> not at all. It's, it, with each one I learn, it's like I know less. But I do uh, know that in reading focus books and others, I, I know even less. It's like, man, Lord, I just, I, I want to uh, do what you, you know, want me to do. But he lets us mess up and learn. Um, but when it comes to discipline our children for wrongdoing, that, that dis, uh, in discipline, our goal should be to produce that heart change, not com- just conforming to the rules. You know, the Pharisees looked good. They were, they were conforming to all the laws. But once again, that in, inside, uh, you know, their motives were all jacked up. We want our kids to have good motives. You know, we want them to be from the inside out clean and, and, and pure, you know. And once again, and on that cleansing earlier, I didn't hit on it. I, I was thinking about how, uh, these these guys are saved. That wasn't talking about salvation, but that salvation, I think it's soteria in Greek, 
that's a word that's more than just salvation. It's that uh, being being saved from your your bondages, your all your your issues, you know. And God is the one who can do that. Um, um, he, I think of Peter when he in John thirteen he he went to he Lord wash all of me. I'm filthy, you know. He's washing feet. He goes, no, you you one who's bathed needs only to have his feet washed. That we we still get dirty in the world, and we need our feet washed. But uh, and so he cleans us. Uh, eternally, but he positionally, but he cleans us practically too, if we give him our mind. So, uh, but with this little section here to wrap up, he he brings around to back around to the point he started with that how he was Paul was comforted by uh, way of their repentance, the Corinthians' repentance. Titus was blessed, you know, he probably got tired of going down there and oh, this guy's doing this. I mean, I don't even some of the stuff. One guy was uh, doing things he shouldn't have with this probably at best his stepmom. There was. It was very carnal. It was a very carnal uh, church at one time, and uh, Titus was probably really blessed to see these guys changing. And uh, it's how awesome is it for us to see uh, Jesus changing lives around, all around us? To, and if you're not seeing it, take note. Take note. Really look because it, he is changing people if they let him. His arms are open uh, to see Christians free from all the junk holding us back to taking all the the land that the Lord has for us in life. He wants to bless us. Uh, but the key, once again, is that, that biblical principle throughout the Bible of repentance. And so every day going to the Lord, um, really starting starting your day with just, uh, I think Mike even said the other day, looking in the mirror in the morning and, and, you know, Lord, I am evil. I need you every day. I need you to stay to uh, walk with me, to forgive me, forgive me of my thoughts even now, uh, change my heart towards this stuff, and he will. And so I like... Uh, uh, and, and really to walk in repentance, to walk in that, not to, it's so, you know, when I first got to say, I thought repentance, that's something you do once, you know, and it's this religious word, you do it one time, and you're good, but it's not, yeah, you do it over, you walk in that repentance over and over to, to, be, to be clear, to be clean, to keep your accounts current with the Lord. Um, every thought, every deed that doesn't agree with him and his standards, uh, asking forgiveness for those things. Martin Luther, some of you guys have heard of him, a uh, long time ago he wrote a 95 thesis. And his first line of the 95 was, when our, he said, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. And I believe that. I think, you know, Mark chapter 1, Jesus said he came on the scene and started his ministry, probably around 30 years old, and he didn't say, Hey guys, smile, God loves you. You know, he's got a great plan for you. He didn't say anything like that. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. And uh, whether it's a repentance to salvation or a daily repentance to, to uh, bring yourself closer to him, he desires that even now. Um, so in closing, I, I believe this chapter ends in a, a really a place of victory and encouragement. Uh, and what a great encouragement it must have been for Paul to, to say he had confidence in these guys and everything. He didn't dwell on and condemn them with all the stuff that he knew was wrong, but encouraged them in, in what they were doing right and, and at the same time pointing out things that they could improve But throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, but showing his re, uh, reaffirming his love for them. Uh, he and Titus are rejoicing over them as, as once again we should over uh, our repented brothers and sisters in Christ, just showering love and encouragement on them, giving calls, pop in on them. Uh, but I, I really feel like he's saying the sky's the limit spiritually for you guys, Corinthians, to keep going and growing in the Lord. So uh, go ahead and stop there.
and pray. Lord, we, we thank you for Second uh, Corinthians. We thank you for Paul's uh, letter, the way he, really more than I believe any other epistle he's written out of the, written out of the 13, he, he shows his heart. He shows his open, he's open, he's, he wants to be transparent, he, he wants to uh, 